He was on his way home, despondent. He'd just been given notice of work that his job was terminated, and effective immediately, he was without employment and without income. He had a family at home, and while he tried to be responsible with his money, there wasn't much left after paying the bills and feeding his family, and he was wondering how he was going to make ends meet and how he was going to feed the mouths that he had facing him at home. A well-meaning friend comes up to him and says, Try not to get down. You'll get over this. After all, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. The young couple was so excited. Their first baby was on the way, and they were so excited to welcome this new baby into their family. They went for their well-baby checkup, and then they got the words that they never wanted to hear. We can't find a heartbeat. A little later on, a Christian friend from church said, you'll get over this. God won't give you more than you can handle. She was so depressed. She was in a deep, dark depression. Everything seemed so hopeless and empty in life. Some days it was all she could do to just put one foot in front of another to go about the day's business. A well-meaning neighbor came over to comfort her and to put her arm around her and said, don't give up. God won't give you more than you can handle. We've heard those words, haven't we? I've heard those words. I hear them by, from well-meaning friends, from Christian brothers and sisters, from television evangelists, from Christian authors. God won't give you anything more than you can handle. And I begin to wonder, are those words really in the Bible? Did God really say that? Because to be honest with you folks, there are times in my life when I do and have encountered things in my life that I wasn't sure I was going to be able to face. Some things in my life that I was convinced that I couldn't face on my own. Does God really say He won't give us more than we can handle? Well, the fact of the matter is, no, God does not say that in His Word. Now, in all fairness, it's probably a misrepresentation of a Bible passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Now, I'd like to bring out a couple of things about this Bible passage and its context that might help us understand that God isn't telling us that He will not give us anything more than we can handle. First of all, when you look at this, He's talking about temptation. He said, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to men. He's telling us that the temptations that we encounter in our life, He's not talking about suffering. He's not talking about adversity. He's not talking about depression and doubt. He's not talking about trials and tribulations. He's talking about temptation. And he said, what you are encountering is nothing that's unusual to other men. And that you will not be tempted beyond your ability. But as we look at this, we have to understand where that is ability is coming from. He says this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, 
He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So talking about temptation, what God is saying, that ability to get past that temptation, to not be overcome by that temptation, doesn't come from within. It's not us. It's Him. He will give you or will provide the way of escape. So what about the suffering? What about the trials and the tribulations and the difficulties that we face in life? Because, folks, we do live in a fallen world, and we are encountering those trials and tribulations every day, are we not? So what does God say about that? Well, in the Bible reading that Pastor Dave just read, we see Paul saying, guess what? I faced that kind of trouble. He said this, he said, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Now, Paul doesn't tell us the situation. He doesn't tell us the particulars. But what he does tell us is that he and his companions were overcome by an affliction that was beyond their ability to endure. So much so that, so much so that they, they despaired of life itself. They were convinced that they were going to die. They thought it was the end of the road, and it was beyond their ability to endure. And folks, i got to tell you, Paul in the Scriptures is not alone. We can go through the whole Bible, and we see person after person. We see in the book of Job, a man who was well-respected, a faithful man of God, a man who seemed to have it all, sitting in ashes. And he, in verse 3, or chapter 3, he's crying out to God, Perish the day that I was born. Would it have been for me just to die right then? To come out of the womb and expire? Were Job's trials and tribulations more difficult than he can, can uh, take care of on his own? Absolutely. He lost his family. He lost his business. He lost his home. He lost everything, and he wasn't able to endure it. And then we go to Numbers chapter 11. We see the great man of God, the great Jewish leader Moses. They're out in the wilderness. He and the people that he was leading had seen some wonderful things. A God who had delivered them from years and years of, of slavery. A God who had sent ten miraculous plagues to convince the Pharaoh that it was okay for them to, uh, for him to let the people go. He delivered them from their enemies at the uh, seaside, at the, uh, sea, the side of the Red Sea. When he led them through dry ground and then defeated their enemies once and for all. They'd seen the miracle that God was providing them every day with manna. Enough manna to eat every single day. And now the people are complaining. Manna again? I'm tired of manna. Back in Egypt, we had all kinds of different kinds of vegetables and meat in the pot every day. We want to go back. And Moses looks to God and he said, how am I supposed to find meat for all these people? I can't stand and suffer these people any longer. It is too much for me to endure. 
Was Moses faced with more than he could handle? Absolutely. And in 1 Kings, we see Elijah. After defeating the prophets of Baal and destroying Baal worship, he gets this letter from the queen saying that there's a bounty, a price upon his head. And he runs away in fear. And he goes clear out into the wilderness south of Israel and finally, tired and worn out, falls down underneath the broom tree and he cries out to God, it is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Was he faced with more than he can handle? Yeah. Over and over and over again, we see that in Scripture. God does not say in his Bible that God won't give you more than you can handle. But yet we hear those words so often. And when we look at our own lives and we admit that there are times in our lives when we can't, sometimes when we offer those words, and I'm not here to make anybody feel guilty if you've ever said that, but sometimes it's like rubbing salt into an open wound, isn't it? Sometimes we do more harm than good. The other day I had a gentleman say to me not too long ago, he said, you know, the Bible tells us that God won't give us more than we can handle. I sure wish God didn't have such a high opinion of me. What he was saying was, is something wrong with me? And my, is my faith not strong enough to handle this? His whole relationship with God was called into question by that thought. Some others get cynical. They are facing these troubles, and they're realizing they can't handle them on their own. And they think God has just left them to be handling it on their own. And so they come to the conclusion that one of several things is true. Either God doesn't exist, or God isn't who He says He is, isn't faithful to His promises, or God is detached and really doesn't care, or God has a twisted sense of humor. And so the whole existence of God and the relationship we have with Him is called into question. Are you tired of the bad news? Let me share with you some good news. This is a year that Pastor Dave and the staff and our congregation is calling the year of transformation. This is a year where we're trying to encourage people to dig into the Word and to be together in Bible study and small group, life groups. We want you to be able to have family devotions and personal devotions at home. And one of my favorite devotionals is from lhm.org. It's from Lutheran Hour Ministries. And in one of my devotions this week, um, the author of the devotion brought our attention to a video. A video, there's Joe, by the way, there's Moses, there's Elijah, and here's the video. We have a, a young elephant, not big enough to handle the problem that he's found himself in. He tries as hard as he can, and sometimes that's how it is with us. We try and we try and we try to do it on our own, but we just can't get out of it. Almost, almost, but we just can't quite make it. And we grasp at anything we possibly can to try to make it happen. We try and finally we give up. And we 
sit in despair, not knowing where to turn. And it isn't until someone else comes to help us that we're able to get out of the muck and the mire of the troubles that we're in. And it isn't until that person or that individual comes to our rescue, gets down into the muck and the mire with us, and then pushes us up and lifts us and encourages us that we're finally able to get out of the trouble that we're in. Folks, I want to tell you that you and I have a God who understands our trials and our tribulations. We have a Jesus who has shared in our sufferings. He knows what it's like to be mocked and reviled, to be made fun of. He knows what it's like to be unloved and forsaken. He knows what it's like to face hopelessness. He understands what it's like to face excruciating pain. He knows what it's like to endure the specter of death. Because Jesus did that for us all. Paul tells us, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. When Paul was in the troubles that he was in, who did he look to? He looked to this Jesus. This Jesus who had shared in his sufferings, who understood what he was feeling like. This Jesus who, like that bigger elephant, got down into the muck and the mire of our lives, got messy with us, shared in our struggles, left his throne in heaven to walk with us. He understands, but not only does he understand, but he came to suffer our sufferings, to endure our pain, to endure our death and our hell for us. So we don't have to. And not only that, but Paul then pointed to the cross, the cross that is empty, and the grave that is empty. And he said, if God can conquer our final enemy, death, and he can bring us back from death in that way, can't he also bring us back from our problems that we're faced with? In the devotion, the author pointed to the elephants again. He talked about the devastation that they caused for the farmers and the uh, people of the country in Africa that he was up, up at. And when he got there, he said, you know, the, the, the elephants would, would come and they would go into the gardens and the fields of the farmers and wreak devastation because the elephants always foraging for food were, well, wouldn't they be attracted to a a field full of melons or produce, easy pickings, right? And they couldn't stop them. You couldn't build a fence big enough. Scarecrows certainly didn't work. And so they finally resorted to killing the elephants in order to preserve their fields until recently when they've discovered a new line of defense, honeybees. They found that if they put beehives around the perimeter of their fields, that it would keep these elephants at bay. And elephants like this one will just stand on the edge of the field, shaking its head and to, because it hears the buzzing of the bees, 
and then eventually turn around and walk away, leaving the fields unharmed. And folks, in our Bible passage today, God tells us that He gives us a perimeter, a line of defense against these troubles and trials in our lives. And the first one is this, the community of believers. Are you mourning the loss of a loved one today? Are you struggling with a broken relationship? Have you had some troubles with financial setbacks? Are you worried about your children or your grandchildren? Are you facing a life-threatening illness or an illness that is causing you pain and discomfort every day of your life? Are you struggling with depression and loneliness? Folks, I can tell you that there are people in this room who understand your affliction. And I know that they understand it because they've gone through it. There's probably more than one person in this room right now who understands any one of those things that I just described and more. And God puts us into this body of believers so that we can comfort one another. Having gone through those afflictions in our lives and receiving the comfort of God, we can offer that with one another. That's number one, line of defense. Number two, line of defense, he gives us prayer. Paul reminds his people, he said, I want you to pray for us and pray for one another. God says, come to me and I will give you rest. Bring your burdens and your anxieties your heartaches and your pains and your suffering, your trials and your tribulations to me, and I will be there with you. And then he gives us something else. He gathers us together as his people, and he offers us his gifts right here in this place. Every Sunday, he brings us to the knowledge and understanding that we are baptized children of God that we've been washed clean by our Lord and Savior, and that He's indwelled us, and He calls us His children. We belong to Him. We are His baptized children of God. And not only has He made us each individually members of His family, but He's made us a member of this community of believers where we can be built up and strengthened each week. He invites us to the table, and Jesus comes to us in person, in the body and blood, in with and under the bread and wine. And he comes to us each individually saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. I want to become one with you, to commune with you, so that you can know that I am walking with you every step of every day, that I'm removing that barrier of sin right here and now, so that you understand that there is nothing separating you from the Father of mercies, our God of all comfort. He speaks to us in his word. And every day, every time we open up His Word, we hear the words, I love you. You are mine. And He gives us His promises. Nothing can separate you from my love. I am with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Does God say that He won't give us more than we can handle? No. But what He does say is that I am here to give you the strength. I will provide the way out. I will give you my comfort. I am the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. I am with you always. I give you your body of believers for you 
to strengthen and encourage one another and to hold one another up. I offer you my gifts, my sacraments, and my word so that I can speak into your life every single week, every single day. I am your Father, your Father of mercies. I am your God, your God of comfort. And now, may we rely on Him and not on ourselves and know the perfect comfort that He gives us in all afflictions. Amen?